Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how Ted Lasso filled a whole stadium for a crowd scene during the pandemic, and how advances, especially in AI, are beginning to change filmmaking. Plus, a Colorado man has won a year-long treasure hunt for golden tickets, making him the new owner of a candy factory. That last part wasn't a joke, it was literally a golden ticket competition for a candy factory. And finally, an ambient noise website for the most chaotic among you. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Between machine learning advancements and the restrictions from COVID-19 leading to creative innovations, there are a lot of exciting changes on the horizon in the world of filmmaking. One show that you'd never know at first glance had to get really creative due to shooting during the pandemic is 20-time Emmy nominee just this year, Ted Lasso. Earlier this year, Entertainment Insider spoke with Barnstorm VFX about how they managed to fill a 26,000-seat stadium in the season one finale of the show during a pandemic. In that episode, our beloved team AFC Richmond is playing against Manchester City on Richmond's home turf at the fictional Nelson Road Stadium, which in actuality is Selhurst Park Stadium, the home of Crystal Palace FC. While some shots of certain scenes are filmed on location at Seller Stadium in London, others, due to filming requirements, COVID protocols, and other restrictions, are shot in a studio in front of a green screen, without a single member of the crowd there in person. Which is why the team at Barnstorm VFX had to pull out all the stops to fill those 26,000 seats at Sellers Park Stadium in the finale. There are a few tighter shots that recreated corners of the stadium in the studio with a small handful of extras, but for larger crowd shots and most of the crowd close-ups, Barnstorm used a combination of tried-and-true techniques with some newer innovations, including crowd tiling, plate extras, and motion capture animation. Now, crowd tiling is when you've got a stationary shot from one angle, and you take a group of, say, 100 extras. You group them together in one quadrant of the shot, you shoot the scene, and then mix them up and move them all to another quadrant of the shot and film it again. And then you keep repeating that as many times as you need. So with some rotoscoping in post, you now have a crowd of hundreds or thousands of people having only used 100 extras. They used this method in Ted Lasso, but because of COVID, they couldn't use nearly as many extras as they usually would for crowd tiling. Plus, like I said, it has to be for a shot where the camera doesn't move, which cuts down the number of shots you can really practically use it for, and it's a pretty time-consuming task for a live shoot day. Insider gave the example of the HBO show Insecure. They spent an hour and a half shooting their small crowd in four different locations as the overall audience for an outdoor concert, and that 90 minutes of work ended up in the final cut of the episode for one second. Understandably, many films and TV shows over the years have opted to simply fill the crowds with mannequins and inflatable dolls, which look eerily realistic in some cases. But these days, that technique has also been given a digital makeover in the form of plate extras. Plate extras are real people who get filmed in front of a green screen from a few different angles and then can be added into the background of shots as needed. 
Using plate extras is a technique that's naturally good for social distancing guidelines because the extras are rarely shot right up close next to each other. Instead, they're a bit separate from one another or by themselves in front of a green screen so that they can be mixed and matched and plopped into the background wherever needed. However, usually you'd use about 100 different people to create this, but due to COVID protocols, they could only use 20. Specifically, Barnstorm's own VFX employees who were already working together in the office. One advantage of plate extras over mannequins is that they can move, because they're real people, and as such, they also, you know, look like real people for close-up shots. So most close shots of people cheering or booing or chanting and moving their arms in the Ted Lasso finale are of Barnstorm's employees in different hats, scarves, and jackets in front of a green screen. The final technique that Barnstorm used to fill in gaps in the CGI stadium crowd background shots? Digital doubles. Those accounted for roughly 90% of the crowd shots. Digital doubles can be based on a real actor or based on a template, maybe if they're going to be further away so the detail and uniqueness isn't as important. But since they're fully digital, they're super versatile, says Insider. You can relight them, position them according to any angle that you need, and code them to easily create diverse and mixed up groups of supporters for, in this case, each team having different reactions at the same time side by side. It's kind of like playing with The Sims. You can make a ton of them, dress them up in whatever clothes you want, and control their emotions. Barnstorm used a software called Gollum, where they could assign each CG model a shirt color, or team affiliation, as well as a particular reaction. So you could easily have Manchester City supporters looking excited and AFC Richmond supporters looking disappointed at the same time. They can also sit down, jump up, punch their fists, clap, anything, really. Well, almost. And it all looks fairly realistic because they used motion capture suits worn by the animators to perform every movement that they used in the software. And Insider shares one of the most difficult movements was actually clapping, because motion capture suits kind of treat the wrists and fingers as all one extension of the arm without being able to move them independently, as you need to do to have a realistic human clap. So, they had to pull out some newfangled motion capture or mocap gloves to get the clapping just right. The mocap gloves are a newer invention, and one that shows just how much this sector continues to expand as more and more movies and TV shows take advantage of the technology for new uses. And on that note, The Verge recently shared a few other ways that artificial intelligence in particular is beginning to change how we make movies. Funnily enough, while most technologies in filmmaking start in Hollywood and then trickle down to consumer-level software and technology, a lot of the tech mentioned in this Verge article are new features in Adobe products for creators that The Verge is predicting could change how things are done in Hollywood going forward. Because some of the technology is getting that good and that much easier than traditional CGI methods. One of these is Adobe Photoshop's new Neural Filters, which enable you to change the lighting of a photo or change the appearance of a subject, making them look older, changing their hairstyle, even making them smile, all with just a few toggles and sliders. This development comes from Adobe's machine learning platform, Adobe Sensei, which has announced a whole slew of new products. Another one, this is in After Effects, is called Content-Aware Fill, which seamlessly removes objects from videos, something that was previously a painstaking frame-by-frame -frame process. 
And a feature coming soon to Premiere Pro is one that's technologically not quite as impressive, but one that I am personally excited for. It's called Auto Reframe, and it reframes videos into different aspect ratios, like going from 16.9 to 1.1 or 9.16, which is what most portrait short-form videos on mobile are these days. Right now, you can crop your video so that you can port it over to a different social media platform, like if you post a normal horizontal 16.9 YouTube video, but you want to share a clip of it on Instagram stories where you would need 9.16. But it can take a while to adjust every clip or shot in the video to still look decent in the new aspect ratio. Auto Reframe uses AI to do that work for you, so you can just press a button and go. With all these ways that AI is speeding up tasks that used to take hours, days, or weeks of work from, in the case of larger projects, entire dedicated teams, The Verge questions whether AI will be making a lot of people's jobs in filmmaking obsolete. Scott Provost, VP of Adobe Sensei, told The Verge, quote, We think some of the work that creatives used to do in production, they're not going to do as much of that anymore. They may become more like art directors. We think it actually allows the humans to focus more on the creative aspects of their work and to explore this broader creative space, where Sensei does some of the more mundane work, end quote. And the Verge expands on that to say that people probably won't be focused on one specialization anymore, like just a colorist or just a retoucher. You'll be able to be more of a general creative, able to work on many pieces of the craft or even across many mediums. Whether you view that as a you'll be able to or a you'll have to is definitely in the eye of the beholder. As AI helps eliminate some of the more, quote, mundane tasks, it's also being applied in some more mundane ways that we don't even notice. You know, it's obvious that something like Avengers Endgame is a total CGI fest, but I wouldn't have stopped to think about how much advanced technology went into just creating those crowd shots in Ted Lasso. Kind of makes it tough to believe anything is real anymore on film. But again, if some of this work gets easier or opens doors to newer things we didn't even think were possible before, that might make the creative side of work that much better. A Colorado man has won a golden ticket and the candy factory that comes with it. For real. So around this time last year, I covered the story of candy maker David Klein, the sort of inventor of Jelly Belly, although he is no longer affiliated with them or credited as the inventor. You can hear more about his story at the link to last year's episode in the show notes, but here's the important thing to know for today. Last year, Klein launched the Gold Ticket Competition, a treasure hunt happening in every state in the U.S. in which paying contestants were given riddles to help them find the golden ticket in each state. Those ticket finders received $5,000 for finding the tickets. Once they were all found, a riddle would be released to everyone who had originally registered to begin the hunt for the ultimate treasure, one more golden ticket that would make them the winners of Klein's 4,000-square-foot candy factory in Florida. Andrew Moss, a 39-year-old father from Colorado, is a big fan of riddles and treasure hunts, so he actually registered for the competition in four different states. He solved the riddle for Kansas and literally arrived at the location where it was a minute before someone else who found it right before him. Which I suppose isn't that much of a coincidence when you find out they actually had 35,000 people competing in this treasure hunt over the past year. 
Despite trying in four different states, Moss never did find a golden ticket in any of them. But then, the ultimate treasure riddle was posted, and after a few weeks of no one finding it, Candyman Klein started dropping some clues. That ended up being enough for Moss to make some educated guesses and then end up on a 6am Frontier Airlines flight to Kokomo, Indiana, where within a few hours he had found the final, ultimate, golden ticket buried beneath a covered bridge. After posting his results to the competition website, Moss received a call from Klein congratulating him on winning the candy factory. But in the end, he decided not to take the factory since he'd have to relocate his family from Colorado to Florida, so he and Klein worked out some sort of deal where Moss is essentially getting a payout instead, but according to him, the real prize was the fun he had along the way. Sounds like a cheesy joke, but that's literally what he told the Kokomo Tribune. He said, quote, the excitement and adventure was the real reward, end quote. So, Neil Agarwal, one of my favorite creative developers, you might know him from some of his projects like The Size of Space and 10 Years Ago, just dropped another fantastic site. It's called Ambient Chaos. At first, it seems like another one of those background noise sites that have been especially popular during the pandemic. Right at the top, you've got some curved sliders so that you can play ambient rain sounds or a coffee shop or maybe the sound of the ocean or some lo-fi beats. But if you keep scrolling, you see other auditory options like highway, dentist, casino, lawnmower... You even get Crime Scene, Haunted Dungeon, Zombie Invasion, and Couple Arguing. And I gotta say, playing the couple arguing over the nuclear siren with the addition of a beehive, as if you're in some too-real moment where the apocalypse has been heralded by killer bees, it's pretty fun. It's a hilarious website, but also maybe like a cool creative writing exercise to imagine what scene would lead to the strange combination of a marching band, a volcano, and construction. In any case, you can check out Ambient Chaos and all of Neil's other works at neil.fun or go to the link in the show notes. Well, today is the 21st of September, which means Demi Dijuibe, the September guy, has just released his sixth annual video to his remix of the classic song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll link to an explainer segment I did this time last year, as well as a playlist of all of the September 21st videos that he's made over the years for you to watch and enjoy. DJ Weebe, who is also one half of the old podcast Gilmore Guys, a screenwriter on The Late Late Show, The Amber Ruffin Show, and The Good Place, and just overall internet comic genius, went truly above and beyond this year with multiple sets, a full cast, and overall higher production quality than ever before. There were also a lot of references to Grease. I don't know why, but I liked it. He also announced that this year's video will officially be the last. No more September 21st videos. But to go out with a bang, he's doing a big auction fundraiser for three charities. The West Fund, which helps people in West Texas get access to abortions. Imagine Waterworks, who are helping with mutual aid and disaster response in the wake of Hurricane Ida. And the Sunrise Movement, the climate change advocacy group. The auction is for a painting of a September 21st basketball jersey in the style of Hoop Dreams that Dweebe did himself. 
You can buy a raffle ticket for as little as $10, and every $100,000 that the fundraiser earns, he will be giving away a physical jersey to a random donor. Last year, the campaign raised over $300,000, and as of recording, mere hours after going live, they have already blown past that with over $370,000. So check the links in the show notes if you want to watch this year's video or the previous ones, and go to sept21st.com to donate. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. 